Uh, Already did. <laughs> hey Taylor, we're live. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> you did it. Are you Are you ready to start? I'm ready. That was awesome. I hit the uh, I hit the live button without telling my co-host. Hey, welcome. <laughs> Welcome to the um, the Real Investing Show. Uh, my name is Stephen Earp, and this is Taylor Davis, my trusty co-host. And so, we're really glad to be uh, to be here with you talking about real estate investing. Um, we are located in I'm I'm in Oklahoma City, and Taylor is in Norman, Oklahoma. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm excited about today, Taylor. We're going to actually uh, field some questions from one of our listeners. Perfect. Sounds great. I love this topic, by the way. Yeah. So, uh, so first of all, let me give you a little bit of a, uh, well, if you're watching, first of all, let us know who you are in the comments, whatever channel you are, uh, whatever channel you're, you're watching us on or listening on, um, on YouTube or Facebook, uh, let us know who you are, where you're from. If you have questions about real estate investing in any way, uh, let us know below in the comments. So please like comment and share on this podcast. Um, so, <laughs> One of our listeners reached out to me and said, uh, here's the scenario. His grandfather passed away and he's been wanting to get involved in real estate investing. So from the estate, um, before it went into probate, he was able to make a deal on his grandfather's property from the heirs. And it is a, it is a house. Um, it's along just the eastern part of Oklahoma City along sort of I-40. If you know this area, it's kind of like before you get to the Choctaw area. Um, it has five acres. I do not know the size of the house. I didn't get into the details on that. But uh, uh, but yeah, he, he sent me a bunch of questions about it. And so I thought we would just try to field these questions. Now, we don't have specifics about the house. I don't know if it's three bedroom or whatever, um, but we can make some assumptions based on this was his 94-year-old grandfather's house. Cool. And so out in the country. <clears throat> so Question number one. By the way, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Uh, question number one. If it were your property, how would you go about setting the rent? Is it based purely on operating costs plus a markup of some kind? Or is it based on comps? And where do you get that info? Let me rephrase the question. How do you set the price? How do you set the price? How do you set the rental price for a rental property? All right. So, I mean, first off, you're in a market, right? And so as much as uh, any any producing person wants to make the price as high as possible, you can't do that because because capitalism says someone else will undercut them and, and, it, and it creates market. And so you're looking at demand. So as much as you'd, I'd love to be able to set everything off of my cost plus my profit desire, I really have to look at comps because you're competing for the same buyer, or excuse me, in this case, you're competing for the same renters as all of the other landlords in the area. So you've got to look at what are what are other renters actually renting properties at, and then you know you can look and see what are other rentals out there that aren't being rented, probably because they're overpriced, and that's going to determine that. So tools and resources, a free resource is going to be like Zillow.com. Trulia, uh, marketplace on Facebook. A lot of people will put these put rentals out on these websites that are 
free to, you know, to, to look at. And then you can look at it through the eyes of this is how I like to do it, because this is how a, a renter is going to do it. They're going to look at it and go, what is the best property I can get in the price range and area that I want? Right. Like right. That, they're looking to save as much money as possible. So then you've got to determine what is the most you can get to capture that renter that's still looking for that. Right. Mm -hmm. So you've got to look at your competition and be priced according to your competition. Now, obviously, there can be variables there. Someone, you know, finding you know, acreage is one of those things that's going to be a unique factor that, that, that you're going to be able to probably rent it for more simply because it's got a unique value proposition. Same thing with like a pool or if you're in an HOA with a pool versus looking at rentals outside of that, things like that, they can change that value proposition, but you're still in a market and you have to determine it based off your competitor's pricing. So to summarize, when you're looking to set the, the rental price of a rental, you have to go on comparative rentals in your area. Yep. Number one, do research on what rents are going for for similar properties. Use uh, Zillow, what was it? What are the others? Uh, Trulia? Trulia, Facebook Marketplace. Facebook Marketplace. What about Rentometer? Apartments.com. Rentometer is a is a good tool to look at to kind of mm -hmm. see what, uh, it'll pull comps for you. But I actually like to go in and see what the comps look like because that's going to pull like a general, like three yeah. bedroom, two bath. It's a good quick, quick rule of thumb. Okay. Uh, but if I like to actually go in and then look at the properties mm -hmm. because you can have 10 different three bedroom, two baths that aren't anywhere near the same. Yeah. And another thing I would say is after, so do your digital research first to see who your competition is. And then next, if possible, I would, I would even get in the car and drive around the area, see what other houses are for, for rent, what other houses are available. You can even call on some of them. Um, and a, a lot of them might have websites out front or something like that. So so um, I know that this is a unique position for this mm -hmm. person because they're getting this from an inheritance piece. Yeah. But we always talk about, and almost every expert out there will tell you, the very first step is define your criteria. And one of the reasons that's so important to define your criteria is when you when you know you need to become the expert in that area. You need mm -hmm. to become the expert of rentals in that area so that you know what markets are doing and you can set the price accordingly because – if, if you're not paying attention over the last two years, markets have gone, uh, the rental market's gone up 15, 20%. If you're mm -hmm. in the same price that you were in 2019, you're leaving that money on the table and mm -hmm. it's your job to stay educated in your area. Yeah. Yeah. And my, and my suggestion too, if you're looking to set rent, you have to think of it from a net return on investment or net return on equity. Like you, you want to maximize your, your profit and minimize your expenses. Now, I, there is an aspect of that, and then this is coming from my perspective with respect to my faith and just ethics is like, we want to add value to any community we're in. So, you know, you don't want to milk the community as like being a slumlord, but um, but you want to be a good steward of the resources you have. And so, um, so that might, okay, next question. So we've talked about how to set the rent. Um, next question, how do you go about marketing or listing to attract and find potential tenants? Uh, how do you go about market? Uh, Apartments.com, uh, Zillow.com, Facebook Marketplace. Those are the three places I've used. And then and then I, 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 I'll I put it in the MLS 
so I, I will list it in the MLS and then that'll feed to a lot of those different websites. As a, as a rental, you can yeah. list rentals on the MLS. You can. And so, well, property managers can or anybody who has access to that can, yeah. and you can pay people to, to list that for you. So like maybe you didn't want a property manager to do everything. You just wanted to hire somebody to, to acquire the renter. Uh, yeah. You can pay for property or rental placement versus paying for property management. So all they're doing is helping you get a tenant in place versus actually doing all of the property management once that tenant's in place. Okay, perfect. Um, now apartments.com, you can list single family homes on apartments.com. Yep. It used to be cozy.co, mm -hmm. uh, which was its own company. And mm -hmm. it's, by the way, if you're property managing, that's a really great resource because you can set it up to where your tenants can pay online. Uh, you can set it up to where it, it it automatically notifies them. You can set it up to where they automat it automatically takes it from their bank account as long as they set that up, um, and it manages your lease for you. It does a lot of things, but you can also list it on there uh, as a way to to uh, to get new tenants. So you're saying that Apartments.com they have template applications and things like that. Uh, they have, I, I don't know. I use the state like application form and I use state, um, documents, but they, you can upload all of that to there. So you can see it all in there. That's wow. where I keep all of my property management. It's super easy. And most of my tenants are set up on an auto pay. So I, I just get a notification every month that they, it was withdrawn on the first through apartments. Uh, through apartments. Yeah. And it used to be cozy.co, but then apartments.com bought cozy.co and put it okay. all under one thing. Okay. Um, next question. And remember, this is for a brand new, uh, landlord. Next question. What are the top three to five improvements we should be looking at doing to get the most bang for buck return? Yeah. Uh, that's a good question. And it, it's hard to, to get out. Giving a blanket answer to something like that is kind of difficult. Um, I, I tend to, I mean, the kitchen and bathrooms are going to be differentiators, right? Like um, that's a really good way to invest and get money back because those are important to people. But when it comes to a rental, man, if it's clean and move in ready, that's important. So like fresh paint and carpet goes a really, really long way um, to really freshening up a property. And most of the time people just want to feel like they're in a safe, clean place. They're not looking for the fancy stuff. Uh, but that also is going to go into what is the market. So like are all of the other homes in the area updated and brand new that you're competing with to where you're not going to get the tenant that you want simply because you're choosing to not do these improvements. That could be a problem. So it's going to be market dependent. You also don't want to put a brand new bath and kitchen in on a property where nothing else in the area has that because now you've over improved the property. So it's going to going back, be a market expert, be an area expert. And, and I like to, to be a little nicer than the area because I want to attract that tenant. Yeah, I agree. So when we're asking about which improvements you should be looking at to get the most bang for your book, I don't know that there are specific things. I think it's property dependent for one thing. And I, I think that going in and using the comp, using comps as well. What, what are the other, what do your competitors properties look like? I think there are some things to see, this is dependent on the property. I mean, like if it's an older house, so this house that we're talking about came from his 94 year old grandfather. When I very first, when I bought my first house, it did not have a dishwasher in it. You know what I mean? But right. like today 
you, you want a dishwasher in the house, right? right? It's like some, some homes may not have washer dryer hookups or maybe something like, so like you want to at least have, so even if it's a house built in the thirties or forties, make sure you have a dishwasher, make sure you have washer dryer hookups, um, things like that. Um, and, and so, uh, the other thing is like, when you're looking at a, a, a property, like with rentals, I mean, for, for almost 20 years, I've been putting all solid surfaces in my solid surface floors in my rentals. You know, it's like yeah. it, where if you're going to sell a house, I mean, you might could carpet the bedrooms and, you know, and things yeah. like that. If you're selling it to a homeowner, they may want carpeted bedrooms. But if I'm going to keep it as a rental, I want solid surface. It's low, less maintenance and things like that. So those are the kind of things you want to think about. Um, but as far as like the countertops and things, I mean, it, it doesn't make sense to put in you know, granite countertops or quartz countertops. If every other house in the neighborhood has the, the older Formica, I mean, it doesn't, right. it's not going to return. And, no. and so, and things like windows, I like, I find that windows on a rental windows almost never return. It's like, it's not worth no. it. whatever money you spend on windows or doors is not going to pay you back in rentals for the most part. Um, just make sure they're working. And especially those old wooden windows, if you buy an older house and have the wooden windows, you can always get those working. I mean, you can re. And so things like that are the things I look at. What can I repair and keep in good working order as opposed to replacing brand new? Yeah, going back to the solid surface. So one of the best uh, pieces of advice, and you nailed it, that, that I could give is mm -hmm. when you're replacing flooring and it's in a rental, I love luxury vinyl plank. Luxury vinyl plank is, is cheap. It's going to cost you like, two, three bucks a square foot installed. Mm -hmm. It is waterproof. It is a hard surface. Um, you, it's the only thing that can really go wrong with it is it can be scratched, but mm -hmm. for rentals, it is perfect. And you know, if you've got, uh, if especially a lot of, uh, a lot of older rentals, uh, have tile throughout the whole house, right. Mm -hmm. And tiles starting to kind of get that dated look. It's not, it's not yeah. what people want anymore. Luxury vinyl plank, instead of paying two or three dollars a square foot to have the tile demoed out and put something else in, luxury vinyl plank can go right on top of it. And mm -hmm. so you can just you can install that right on top. It's cheap, easy, looks great, will majorly update your house. It'll get you a higher price uh, on the rental and you don't have to replace it very often. Yeah, agree. I have that in my house. I'm 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 sitting on it right now in yeah. my home. I mean, I went with a nicer luxury vinyl plank. But like I would put this in rentals and it's easy to repair because it doesn't oh, yeah. you just you just pop you it out, put it back. one blank out and pop it right back in. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so it's so and it's, it's not glue like, down. It doesn't glue down no. like anything else. So, yep. Um, yep. yeah, it really yeah. is like kind of <laughs> whoever came up with that had rentals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally agree with that. Um, let's see. Next question. Um, how much should I set aside for capital for, uh, how much should I set aside for capital repairs? Yeah. Should it be a percentage of the value or a certain amount or a percentage of revenue, et cetera? How much should I have setting aside? So, all right. So how much should you set aside for maintenance basically? So uh, this is a good question and it's going to depend again, it's going to depend on the property. So mm -hmm. if this property is 10 years old, you don't need to set aside near as much as if it's 60 years old. If it's 60 years old, you need to be putting back quite a bit uh, yeah. unless you've replaced a lot of those mechanicals because mm -hmm. it's going to go down. You're going to replace sewer lines. You're going to replace plumbing. 
you're going to start updating electrical. Uh, you know, if you're 30 years old, you're replacing hot water tanks and HVAC units. So you've got to determine that based off that particular property. A good rule of thumb that a lot of people will go off of, and it's a pretty safe number, is 10%. If you put back 10% for, well, and usually people put that for occupancy and uh, maintenance. And so, because you're going to have some months where you don't have a, an occupant there. 10% so of the gross revenues or 10% of the value? 10% of the gross rent okay. should be enough in most cases to cover it, unless you've got major mechanicals coming up soon. Mm. Yeah. So, and, and I, like, if you were to ask me, how much do I need to have set aside for capital repairs? My, my response would be that the ongoing rent should cover your low key maintenance, replacing a ceiling fan, you know, changing a faucet, fixing a toilet. But for the capital expenses, um, we're talking about HVAC. We're talking about roofs. We're talking about the sewer line. Um, if it's on, and this property we're talking about is, is on five acres and it's kind of out in the country. It might be on a well and septic. I don't know that. So a few things here, and we're in central Oklahoma, by the way, wherever you guys are listening from, um, I, my suggestion is if this is your first rental, you need to have a minimum of five grand sitting aside is my opinion at minimum in case some big emergency happens, maybe 10. But the reason I say that is the biggest issue that can happen is is something like like if the HVAC goes out and it is a hot summer in Oklahoma, you are going to have to jump on that fast and get that fixed for a tenant. So I in like a five thousand dollars may not cover it all, but it's going to go a really long way towards it. Like probably most units in Oklahoma, you can probably replace the HVAC for six or seven thousand. And I know some HVAC guys are saying, "Oh no, it's double that." But listen, I've been putting them in for a long time, <laughs> and so you. So I, I would say set aside at least five grand if you are, and that's that's in central Oklahoma. So like if you're in if you're in California or whatever, I mean like you know you probably need to set aside double that or I don't know. Uh, but the other thing is like the other thing that can go out that you'll have to fix immediately is like if you have to if you're on a if you're on a well um, and the pump goes out, that's an that's an immediate fix. You have to get on it immediately. You have to get a company out there to to replace that pump. You're you're going to be out probably two grand. And it's going to be boom, disappear like that. Roofs is a big deal, but you usually have more lead time. You know, right. if your roof is starting to go out, you can limp it along, you can repair it. And in Oklahoma, most people don't have to pay for roofs in Oklahoma because at some point there's been some hailstorm that comes through and the insurance company will pay for it. Now, eventually, I think that'll go away. Insurance companies will get wise and say, we are not going to replace every single roof in Oklahoma anymore, but um, uh, yeah, it's already happening actually. So there's a, at this, yeah. they're, they're trying to limit it to one year to make a claim. And gotcha. so if it goes past that one year, then you can't, you can't claim it anymore. Yeah. Well, so those are some things to keep in mind about capital improvements, but I'm trying to think if there's any other major improvements. Most things can be, can be slowly updated over time. So like um, in other parts of the country, you're going to deal with, you know, different things like free in, in the north, you're going to deal with busted pipes, right? That's going to be an immediate right. thing. Um, right. So there's there's going to be. But in most cases, you're right. I think in most cases, five thousand dollars is going to be enough to to brace for an immediate, you know, mm. issue. And then mm. if you start putting back, you, you you've got plenty, you know, yeah. and, and and putting 10 putting 10 percent back for occupancy rate, you know, depending on mm. the area. 
for maintenance and occupancy is going to be a reasonable amount. So if you're, you know, rent it out for 1500 a month, you're putting $150 a month back. That's for those months that end up not being occupied or, or those issues that pop up. Yeah. And, and something else about this too, is um, it, the, the, we're asked, we're answering questions about your very first rental. Um, it gets easier the more you have, because for example, if you have, let's say, let's say you have $5,000 setting aside and you have one rental. If you only have one rental, you're at your max risk. Right. Because it it's like, you're likely, you're only going to have one house that's vacant. You're only going right. to have one heat and air unit that goes out. So that's hundred percent of your heat and air units just went out and a hundred percent of your yeah. houses just went unoccupied. Yeah. But if you get two properties, three properties, four properties, right. everyone you add, you don't have to have the same amount of reserves for each one. No. Like you, you can have five to $10,000 sitting there and just knowing that maybe this year, if you have an emergency, you have to replace an HVAC in one of the houses, but you're not going to have to do that in all of them. And so it's something like that. So if you have $10,000 sitting in reserves, I, I mean, I would be comfortable with $10,000 in reserves. I would be comfortable having four or five houses. You, I would you know? Because yeah. the likelihood of everything going wrong at once is pretty low. Very unlikely. Now, one other um, tip. Well, let's go to the next question and then we can kind of wrap up with this. We have a whole new a whole nother series of questions uh, related to uh, first time landlords. Maybe we can uh, close this down and do another episode on that. Maybe a part two. Okay. I don't know if we can handle them all in this time frame. But for now, um, our brand new landlord asked this question. Is there anything else I should be thinking about that I'm not asking any other advice or tips? So that's kind of general. One yeah. thing I would say is any other advice or tips? Now we've been talking about setting prices and things like that. Um, a couple of things are my tips and, and these kind of sparked further conversations and further questions. One is I, I would make sure you stay on top of your maintenance. Do not let delayed maintenance get away from you. Like that is what slumlords do. Be better than that. Number one. Number two, it's just not a good financial play. It's not good for the economy. It's not good for society. It's not good for your tenants. It's not good for you. Stay on top of your maintenance. If you have an issue, go take care of it. And that'll be better long-term. 100%. And here's the thing. To me, cash flow is what keeps me going, right? Cash flow is a little extra, is a little money in the bank. It's, it's keeping me going. It's actually not the play that's giving me the most wealth. The play that's giving me the most wealth is the appreciation. If I right. have a million dollars in properties, right? So like four rentals that are $250,000 each, every year on, on average, I'm going to be appreciating thirty dollars to $40,000 because of that 3 to 4% appreciation rate, mm -hmm. right? So like four rentals could potentially be gaining you thirty dollars to $40,000, but that's not in cash flow. The cash mm -hmm. flow is what's keeping you going. If you defer your maintenance, you're mm -hmm. killing your appreciation, right? You're you're letting that asset depreciate and it's not keeping up with the market and you're not going to realize those gains. And those gains are realized on the back end. And what ends up happening is you sell it to somebody like me later because you're a frustrated landlord that has a, a house that's junky and now you can only sell it to someone like me at 60 cents on the dollar. Yep, totally agree. And not only that, here's something else. The cost of materials and the cost of labor goes up. So if you have a maintenance issue and you don't fix it, the cost to fix it is going to increase. 
and the damage it causes is also going to increase. Oh my gosh, it only compounds. Yeah, it, 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 you, like if you start having a leaky faucet or a leaky, I mean, a leaky, a leaky P-trap under a sink, man, that can turn into a huge mess if you just don't get out there, pay someone 75 bucks to go fix it. Right. Um, it could turn into hundreds and hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars. So um, that's a also, tip. So you're no. going to lose good tenants or you're going to make good tenants, bad tenants because of the broken windows theory. If you don't care about the property, why should they? Yep. Yep, exactly. That's interesting you mentioned that. I remember I, I was involved in ministry for a long time and um, that was a big issue. We worked in a lot of gang infested areas and it was like a big secret to keeping the gang activity down is when there's graffiti pops up somewhere, you paint over it immediately. So the other gangs don't go tag over it and things like that. So yep. um, really interesting you mentioned that. So let me give a teaser for our next episode. The next episode, um, we're going to talk about um, with, with our same first time landlord, uh, how to screen tenants, uh, you know, rental applications. We'll talk about uh, lending that specialize in investment properties, uh, insurance. We'll talk about insurance on, on brand new rentals and things like that. Uh, property management. So we'll we'll do another episode and uh, and deal with some of that stuff. So this is our series on if you're a first time landlord, what do you want to know? Any closing thoughts, Taylor? Uh, I want to say something on this particular one because this guy's got five acres, yep. and uh, he got it in a in a unique way, right through through his uh, an inheritance. So with that. One of the things that I think a landlord should always be doing is making sure that they're uh, they're they have the best rental portfolio that they can have with the money they have. So yeah. one of the things you want to look at is what is the equity that I have in this property, and would that equity be better used elsewhere? You know, for me, I don't really care. I don't know how you, what your thoughts are. I don't love the idea of a five acre property, only because when it's vacant. I have to manage five acres of mowing. I mean, I don't know what this looks like, but that could be a pretty large expense to maintain five acres. Plus, I have to get a tenant that I believe is going to be able to maintain five acres. Um, so for those reasons, it kind of concerns me to, to have, I'm not saying don't do it, yet one of the things you should be looking at is, is this the best property or should I sell this property and go get another property that's more of what I want and is going to give me a better return with maybe less risk on the back end. Yeah, that's a good thought. And a, a few other things on this. There are signs in the area that things are developing around this property and things like that. So it's there's it's it's highly possible and I haven't done enough research on it, but it's it's possible this is a really strong appreciation play as well for this particular property. So that that is a possibility, but that is something to consider. Um, and one more brief thought I would just throw out there in the case of this specific thing where you've bought this property from family members and it used to belong to your grandfather. I would encourage you to sort of try to think about this property as a commodity and not with the sentimental nostalgia. I mean, that's very different. I mean, so what Taylor's saying about are you going, is this property where you're going to get the most return on your equity? Okay. You think right. of your equity as your investment. What is your annual return on equity? What's your annual return on cash? What's your annual return on equity? Um, is this property the best play? So and let me maybe, break, let me break down return on equity real quick. Okay. For those that are listening, okay. return on equity is how much return, how much are you getting every year based off 
the amount of equity that you have in that property. So let's say you have a $200,000 property. You owe $100,000 on that property. Well, you've got $100,000 in equity. The question you want to ask is, am I getting, and it's renting out for however much, $1,500 a month. Is this the best return I can get on this $100,000? Or should I take this $100,000, go buy one or two or three other properties and now get a higher return on my $100,000 in equity? Because if you've got $100,000 in equity, you could go buy two or three other properties at 20% down. Maybe you're getting a higher appreciation play and a higher return annually off of that. And so that's, I mean, and you just hit the nail on the head. We are humans. We're emotional, right? Like, I mean, we have emotions just like everyone else. And wise investors recognize that and check those emotions. And Mm. I'll give an example is like, we've got a property right now that I drove by for years and I always wanted this property. It's an art deco house. It's really unique. It's cool. It's on campus in Norman. And uh, we we bought it uh, late last year, remodeled it, or earlier this year, excuse me, remodeled it and uh, have it as an Airbnb right now. And the truth is, is we're not getting our highest return on investment. And I love that property. It's one of my favorite properties that I own, but I'm selling it. Like we're, we're, we're working right now with somebody that's going to be buying it because it's not giving me the highest return on investment, despite the fact that it is emotionally satisfying for me. Yeah. So you, sometimes you have to put your emotions aside and make the best decision as an investor. Yeah, that's really hard. That's a good word. Um, Okay, guys, stay tuned for our next episode. Stay tuned, you know, like you're dialing into an old school radio. (laughs) Yeah, so this is our series on um, answering questions for a brand new landlord. And our next session, we'll talk about um, uh, screening tenants. We'll talk about insurance. We'll talk about um, uh, we'll we'll talk about lending, uh, talk about property management a little bit. So, Taylor, always great to connect with you, bro. Thanks for your expertise. And uh, thank you guys so much for watching The Real Investing Show. Uh, please like, comment, and share. Tell your friends about it. And uh, let reach out to me or reach out to Taylor if we can answer any questions for you about real estate investing. Really, we're doing this just because we like to help people. <laughs> True yeah. story. We hope to be able to partner with some of you as well, whether actively partnering with you or, or partnering with you by, you know, you guys may be helping uh, if you want to become a passive investor, that's a possibility too. But uh, but really, we just love doing this. So blessings to you guys. Thanks for watching. Thank you.